morning, everyone. My name is John Elmore. I serve as the, well, within pastoral care and regeneration here at Watermark. Great to be with you guys this morning. And uh, I've been sharing some on social media, but I want to tell everyone else, in, in case you hadn't heard or seen, um, that this past week on Tuesday, as a matter of fact, my wife and I received the information that, or diagnosis, that she has breast cancer. Thank you. And so uh, I'm sharing that with you all because we're family. Like scripture is super clear that we are brothers and sisters in Christ and that we are to bear one another's burdens. And man, it's just like invitation to pray. And the thing is, is that everyone, I know this, I know that everyone is facing a battle of their own. And if it's not you, it's someone you know. And so uh, that's, that's what we do as the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, as we, as we share those hardships so that others can come around and pray. There's a picture of Laura and my daughter Penny. You can see Judd in the background. He was pouting. Uh, <laughs> that was just, I don't know, a week and a half ago. We were on vacation uh, while we are waiting for results. And God is good. He's going to see us through. We're concluding this week the Never Be the Same series. And the truth of the matter is, Laura and I will never be the same as a result of this. And I don't mean as a result of cancer. I mean as a result of the sanctification that God promises in his word will happen. He says that when we face trials of various kinds, that he's at work. We're on the anvil and he is shaping us into something amazing and beautiful. He does no evil and though he allows it, but he redeems it. And so we trust ourselves to him. We're praying, let this cup pass, but not our will, your will be done, be glorified. And so thanks for coming along with us. This week with never be the same, also, this is awesome, our church is never gonna be the same because if you look over to my right, your left, Christina is interpreting for the deaf and hard of hearing community. And so um, what she's doing with Jeremy Jaqua, who's in charge of all this that's happening, is uh, they're perfecting lighting and seating and all of that so that on August 8th, you can invite your friends and family and anyone you meet who is in the deaf or hard of hearing community to sit right over there in that section and there will be a team of interpreters so that the gospel can break forth within that community. Super awesome. So, whole lot to be thankful for. And, and with that in mind, uh, just like give it away, we're gonna be talking about Zacchaeus today. And in case you're like, oh yeah, I know that story, little guy climbed the tree. The story ain't about Zacchaeus. The story is about the character of God, the unchanging character of God that changes us. And as a result, we will never be the same. This is about a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And as I read to you about Zacchaeus, you just drop in your name. Because if you will humble yourself with him, that will be your life. It will reflect what we're about to read. And here's the thing, too, is that I read this back in January. I was going through the Gospels, and I got to Luke, and, and there's, there's, you know, there's a part after you've walked with the Lord for a while that you're like, oh, I know this. I know what it's going to say. Zacchaeus, I got it. But uh, Bonhoeffer told his, his students in his secret seminary under Hitler's Nazi regime, he had to go underground, and he taught his students, hey, when you read your Bible, pray, and when you read, read until something just like, just jumping off the page. And when it does, don't read for breadth, then you go depth, because the Lord is speaking. And so I was at Luke 19 back in January, and I got three words in, and it was like, boom. And I just like stopped. And God's character 
just stopped me in my tracks. And I get to share that with you today. So let's read. Luke 19, one through 10. This is Jesus. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he, Zacchaeus, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, the crowd, saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. But the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Y'all, we are going to walk through this passage verse by verse because there are crazy things embedded right here in this all familiar story that are hiding in plain sight. And so by the spirit and by the living and active word, we're gonna let God speak. Verse one that stopped me in my tracks. He entered Jericho and was passing through. I read, it's just normal day sitting there and I read he entered Jericho and I was like, wait, 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 hold on. Jericho, you, you can't go to Jericho, God. Jer- you, can't, you can't do that. You, you actually said earlier, you said that Jericho should never be rebuilt. I was like, there, it says somewhere. I'm like tearing through my Bible. I'm like, where, where is that? Because he entered into Jericho. It's like, you can't. They, they rebuilt a God-forsaken town. The town Jericho was the first one to be conquered as the Jews who were called up out of Egypt were going into the promised land after 40 years of wandering and they march around the city, the walls fall and God says through Joshua, Joshua 6, 26, cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation and if you keep going, if you didn't take warning there, at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. God's just bookending this like, hey, don't do it. And if you do it, your oldest will die, your firstborn. And if you continue and even put gates on the city, then it will be your youngest. Never rebuild it. It was to be an Ebenezer, like Sodom and Gomorrah, that people would look upon it and be like, God is a deliverer. They would just look on the ruins of Jericho and be like, sinful people, God brought them into the promised land. He delivered them. That's what that heap of ruins is. It should never be rebuilt. And it says, if you ever do rebuild that wicked city, you will do so at the cost of your oldest and your youngest. And yet in 1 Kings 16, you flip again and they do it. Hiel of Bethel built Jericho at the cost of his firstborn and his youngest, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua. Just verses thereafter, Elijah seeing the wickedness upon the land. This is when he prays to God and he's like, enough. Never let it rain again. Withhold your blessing. The people have given themselves over to depravity. And yet they do. 
And then Jesus goes there. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, wait, they shouldn't have even rebuilt it. So if you enter into Jericho, Jesus, it's about to be on. You're about to rain down fire. You get, I mean, you knocked over the tables in the temple. Dude, Jericho is going to be a, a bar fight. Like, this is going to be ugly. And it's not. Verse 2. And behold, Scripture says behold is like pay attention. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and was rich. Chief tax collector, the Greek word architeleiones. Think arch rival, arch enemy. Architeleiones means he was the top. He was the top of the food chain of all the thieves. The tax collectors were appointed by Rome from the Jews to take from their own people the tribute to give back to Rome. And they said, and you know what? The authority we give you, because you got to get paid and we're not paying you, you just take a little extra and that can be your income. And so I give some to Rome, I get some for me. And it says, not only was he the top, he was rich, which means he was really good at it. And the richer he was meant the more that he stole from his own people, Zacchaeus. So here you've got Jesus. He has entered into the worst city to find the worst man who has the worst occupation, who's doing the worst to his own people. It's a mess. And here's Jesus and the scriptures recalling it to us for our benefit. And here's why I think it is. It's because as a recovering alcoholic, when I drank, dude, I was swinging for the fences. I used to say, I'd rather have none than one. I'm like, if we're gonna drink, let's get drunk. Wasted, blackout. Let's tear it up. And I'm not the only one. I don't think anybody just like dabbles with porn, just on occasion. I think we give ourselves over to it fully and it becomes so depraved. I think with our control and anxiety, it's not like, yeah, sometimes. I think it becomes all the time. I think we become the arche anxiety, the chief of it. And we're just good at it. We find that rut and we just drive in it. And then we think, man, I asked God to take it away once. I told community about it. That's just who I am, you know? It's just my lot in life. That's my thing, that's my ditch. It's kind of my go-to when I get stressed. And we become, it becomes part of our identity just like it was for Zacchaeus. And that's not okay. So what sin is it for you? Right now, mine, it's like, it's easy to talk about the past. It's, it's humbling to talk about the present. Mine is being short with my kids. That's the one that keeps coming back up that I hate and yet, at times, I'm the arc shortness with my kids. I'm the head of it in my house with my seven, five, and three-year-old. When we're late for church, late to get dressed, they're not eating or sitting at their seat or whatever it is, like I will raise my voice, be sharp with them, say demeaning things to, to, to their children. I love them. And yet that's what comes out. And so what is it for you? What is it for you that started to mark you and become a little too close to your identity. Verse three. And he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. 
So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass by. Here's, here's what I think. From, it's inferred from this. Zacchaeus wanted to see him. The people hated him. He was probably saying, excuse me, um, can I, I, I don't quite, and they're like, get back, jerk. I don't care. We know from other passages, people were pressing in so close to Jesus that it's just like mob parade going through the street of Jericho and he's trying to see, and they're like, no, I don't care. You're not getting in on this one. You can take my money. You're not taking my view. And so he runs on ahead to try to get it another view, but there's a crowd there too. So what does he have to do? He has to climb this tree. Let me tell you a story. We just got back from Florida. That was the picture of Laura and Penny there on the beach. When we get to the beach, my in-laws took us to, to this incredible vacation in Florida. When we get there, uh, my nephew, who's three, he gets to the beach, and there's no sign there. It said, like, Florida State Park. It didn't say nude beach, but he's like, I don't care. He's like, <laughs> and just, I mean, full glory, full speed, just starts running naked. Just three years, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden style. There was like a bachelorette. There was like some group of girls sitting there as he like streaks by and you know one of them was like, did you order a stripper? Like what's going on here? <laughs> and it was like, no, that was cute. You know, it's, it's, it's cute to see a three-year-old running. But what happened was, is it wasn't just the three-year-old running. Then my brother-in-law, Ben, starts running because he's got to catch his naked boy. who's <laughs> like public indecency. And so he's running now. Now that made us all laugh hysterically because you've got this adult that's normally like posed, poised, got it together, but he's now like totally humbled, chasing his kid through the sand. And and by the way, the three-year-old outran him way too much for way too long. (laughs) And that's what Zacchaeus is doing. It's exactly what Zacchaeus is doing. As he runs, it says he runs and then he climbs a tree. The only people that climb trees are kids. There's running, there's climbing, and if you take your Bible from Luke 19, you know what, comes, you know what happens right before Luke 19 is Luke 18. But in Luke 18, there's this parable. Ironically, providentially, there's this parable that says, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, one a tax collector. Jesus is telling this story right before he meets the chief tax collector. He's like, let me tell you how this plays out. I'm gonna give you the end before you see the beginning. Here's what happens. And the the Pharisee goes to the temple and says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like this man. He goes on to say that I'm not an extortionist, which is exactly what Zacchaeus was or even a tax collector like him. He's pointing to the guy probably, that's like, what? But then you've got the tax collector who stood off at a distance, wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, think, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said that one went home justified. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then it goes on to say, the kids came around Jesus, and they're like, ah, and Jesus says, let the little kids come to me, and then Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of heaven like this little child will never enter it. And you've got Zacchaeus like a little child running through the streets that he runs, by the way, mob boss owner. And he's now humbled like a little child running through the streets, climbing a tree just to see Jesus. 
And so here's what I would say to you. Here's your choice. It's an eternal choice and it's a daily choice. Pride-like or childlike? Pride-like or childlike? And you go pride-like and God will humble you. And you will not have God in this life or forever in the next. It will be hell or you go childlike. And he says, welcome. Enter into my rest. You're mine. I adopt you as a son or daughter by the Father, through the Son, and dwelt by the Spirit, by the blood of Christ. It's the only way to enter, like a little child. I've, uh, I've told you before that every morning since I was 30, I get on my knees, I did it this morning, and I put my face down, and it's not a religious routine, it is a reminder for me, and a prayer, and a prayer, and I just, I'm like, I'm like, it's not the same words every day, but it's a, it's a position of humility as a reminder to me, man, I'm a really bad Lord of my life. And you're a really good Lord of my life. So whatever comes today, you, you, you take me. It's childlike. I need that. As a, you know, we're body, mind, and soul all intertwined together. And so I, I put my body in a position of humility because I need it. Because otherwise, I am pride-like. Shake my fist at God. I know better than you. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he heard and came down and received him joyfully. There's a lot here right now. Jesus came to a place at a time for a person. It says in Acts 17 that he is ordained the time and place that every man and woman should live so that you may find God, though he is not far, he's near to every one of you. For in him we live and move and have our being. All the time and place. Jesus comes to the place, which was a tree in this case. Zacchaeus goes up, Jesus goes down. Picture of pride, the humility, the condescension of Christ to come to this earth to save sinners. He's looking up at a person who's prideful and a sinner. He's like, hey, come down. He came at a place, at a time, and he knows his name. He'd never met him before. He knew him. Zacchaeus. Do you know the shock that Zacchaeus would have felt in that moment? Like, wait, what? You, how do you know my name? God in flesh sitting there talking to him. God in flesh. It says elsewhere, he knows the hairs on your head, and it's not particularly because God is concerned about hair. He knows every cell within your body. He knows every millisecond that has ever been a part of your life. He knows you. He loves you. He knows your name. He knows you so deeply and knew you before you were in him. That he would say, Sherry, I know you. Jeremy, I know you. Eric, Shoney, I know you. All of it and all your sin. And I've come for you. He didn't go to Jesus. Zacchaeus didn't go to Jesus. He was just trying to catch a glimpse. He wasn't trying to meet him. He just wanted to see him. To see who he was is what the text says. But Jesus went to him. That's what God does. That's predestination. That's election. That's God setting his love upon you. 
calling you by name, Isaiah 43. I choose you. There's, there is divine sovereignty in this, but there's also human responsibility. Because all are gonna hear, all see the glory of God through what's created, his eternal qualities and power, Romans 1, but not all receive. There is divine sovereignty and then there's human responsibility all meshed in this mystery. This is the gospel, this is Romans 5.8. The good news of Jesus Christ where it says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Zacchaeus, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what scripture also calls the manifold wisdom of God. For manifold, I want you to think Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, like the prism with the light going through. Only two Pink Floyd fans in here, apparently. <laughs> hey, but you acid trippers, I appreciate you. Welcome to church. The light goes through and then boom! And there's prismatic colors of the rainbow that are only seen in that light as it goes through. As the light of God comes through Christ, boom! The prismatic colors, all the manifold wisdom of God throughout all the ages that God in flesh would come to save sinners. He says God demonstrates manifold wisdom put on display. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the crux of the entire story of human history and how God intervenes and saves us. And it's happening right here in Luke 19.5 and today in your life. Today you have heard that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead so that you would be saved, cross over from death to life. That's the good news. He loves you, he's not mad at you. He wasn't mad at Zacchaeus. He didn't come and wag his finger at him. He didn't pass him by. He wasn't oblivious to him. He came for him. And, and you can kind of read this and be like, wait, 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 wait. Worst city, worst person, worst occupation, doing the worst to his people. What are you doing there? Where else is he gonna go? He's got no other choice. He has no other choice. Where's God gonna go? To a sinless city? To a sinless person? It's the only choice that he has. This is the the end of the passage where it says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. All are lost, only some receive. Pride-like or child-like. When I read it and I was in shock that he entered Jericho, I had to reread it and be like, of course. Of course he entered Jericho. Jericho's why he came. My in-laws also have some land and they, they built a fire pit on it. This fire pit is huge. It's like six feet wide. We got a picture of it. And uh, don't be looking at my bass. Be looking at the fire pit. Be like, what did he say? I said bass. Uh, it's a good one, huh? But because it's that big, um, my kids are prone to get in it. They legit, like we'll have a roaring fire, roasted marshmallows, and they're like walking around the ring, like on top of the stones. Like, you know, the Hebrews in Babylon or something, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm like, get it out of the fire. What are you doing? Like, you're going to fall in. And uh, so there's a big rule in our family. You don't get on the fire pit or in the fire pit. You, you don't do that. It's the rule. Dad said, don't do it. 
So one time, roast marshmallows. Next morning, we're like having coffee, making breakfast. Everything's cool. And all of a sudden, uh, my, my seven-year-old burst through the back door. And he's like, Judd's in the fire pit. Judd's in the fire pit. And he, Judd is three. He's our little one that was in the background of that picture. And so I'm like, What? you shouldn't be in the fire pit. I told him not to get in the fire pit. And, and right now, if you're like getting out your phone to call CPS, don't, please. I get out there. He's, sure enough, in the fire pit, screaming, crying, and holding his hands like this. And I, and I, I then go, I jump in the fire pit. He, he, the fire was out, but he thought he was playing with old sticks and ashes. He picked up a, a smoldering coal from the night before and burned his, now you're like, no, I am calling CPS. <laughs> He's fine. He still has four fingerprints. <laughs> Index finger may be questionable. Uh, I jump in the fire pit and just grab him out. And um, he's okay. Great kid. <laughs> Here's the thing. My other two kids, Hill and Penny, seven and five, they're looking at this and they're like, wait, what's going on? Dad's in the fire pit now. You said not to get in the fire pit. You just did what you said not to do. And it's exactly what Jesus does here. He's like, don't rebuild Jericho. Oh, don't read you. You just rebuilt Jericho. Okay. I'm in it. I'm in it because you're in it. Because I love you. I created you. I made you. You made my image. I love you. How could I not? It's the only place I'm going to go. And wherever you go, I'm in. Even though I said not to, you did, and I'm going. It's why the Lord sent Jesus to save sinners. How could he not? It's where he must. I want to share one of the things. So at that same uh, ranch, my grandfather-in-law, who I just dropped the in-law and I call him my grandfather. I love him. He loves me. He's kind of adopted me. Well, not kind of. He's adopted me too. We're just like, he's my man. I love my grandfather. And uh, he busts out this guitar. It's like an old flea market guitar. I'm like, what? You played the guitar? I didn't know you had a guitar. And he starts playing these songs. And I said, where did you get the guitar? Because I've never seen it. I've known him 11 years. Never seen, I've never even heard about music in his life. And he's like, oh, my friend who's in the Bog Riders gave it to me or tuned it or something. I was like, the what? Your friend, the what? He lives in Weatherford, Texas. I'm like, he's like, yeah, the Bog Riders. I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. What's a Bog Rider? Is that like some weird Weatherford, like country and western bar band? Like what is Bog Rider? He's like, you never heard of a Bog Rider? Let me, tell you, let me tell you about the bog riders. And he proceeds to tell me this. He says, the bog rider is the dirtiest job of the cowboy. Nobody wants to be a bog rider, but the bog rider is so important. Because cows, after heavy rains, they're going to get a drink of water. And as they go down to the watering holes, because of the rain and the saturation, the mud just gives under the weight of that cow. And they've got hooves. So the more they wrestle, the deeper they go into the mud. And they're stuck just chest deep, dead. They're helpless at that point. They can't get out of the mud. They're just stuck. And, and you've got vultures that see this and they're like, there's lunch. That thing's not getting out. That cow is dead. The bog rider, his job is to go to all the watering holes. And the cows that shouldn't have gone down into the mud that have, his job is to find them. And when he does, he gets off of his horse and goes into the mud, waist deep. 
and starts by hand shoveling it out from the sides of the cow, getting all the mud free from it, taking it upon himself, then putting his lasso around the cow, getting back on his horse and backing the horse up until that cow is saved. Then in in like total humiliation, goes back to the chuck wagon, mess hall, whatever, covered in the mud of the cow just to save the cow. My grandfather looks at me with tears in his eyes, holding his guitar. And he says, my friend tells me that Christ is the great bog rider who entered into our mess that I self-inflicted my sin, my mud. It's like, I'm coming for you. Coming for you. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ takes our sin upon himself. Colossians 2, that all of our sin was nailed to the cross, that the accuser might have been silent, that we would go free, that we would live. And so I like, thought about this, I'm like, well, that's a neat story, but it's probably not in the Bible. And then I searched for the word bog. One instance, Psalm 40, written by David when he was in a bog. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. David was in a bog. He was in certain death. It says, he cried, the Lord heard, went, saved him, set him on a rock. You know the rest of the story. Verse seven. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. In this day and age, to dine with someone, this isn't like Governor Abbott uh, having dinner with a sex trafficker, which we would all be shocked by. Like, God, that's messed up. Of all the people that you could have dinner with in Dallas, you chose him, the drug dealer, the porn ring guy, whatever it is. This would be, in this day and age, you eat with them, you are like them. And it's where we always see Jesus. He's always with the sinners, isn't he? He's with the sinners and the tax collectors. that, That was their indictment against him. You're a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Prostitutes. Because he came for them. They grumbled against him. All the people are grumbling because they're like, Zacchaeus? And they were right to grumble in a way because because sin is terrible. They just forgot about their own sin, so they were grumbling about his. They forgot about their own sins, they were grumbling about his, and we do too. We're more frustrated about other people's sin than our own. And let me tell you, when you sin, there's collateral damage, there's a blast radius, and you don't get to choose it. It hurts your relationship with others, and it certainly had for Zacchaeus. He was the enemy of Jericho, and it does with us too. And so you think your porn is just between you and your computer. It's not, it affects everything. It's killing your marriage, killing your children. And if you're single, it's still impacting all of your relationships as you just turn inward and decay and spiritually stagnant. You think your control and anxiety, that struggle, the nagging, man, that's just, that, 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 that's not just you. It affects everybody. The, the pride, which was the indictment against the Pharisees, of which Jesus used the worst words too. He's like, that is the spiritual stagnancy and stank that repels everyone else. And so what is it for you? 
What is it for me that we would look at? What is this? That I'm more concerned about the sin of others than rather than the sin of myself. Because here in verse eight, we're gonna hear two things. Verse eight, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. Two things. Encountering and knowing Jesus never be the same. Life-changing encounters with God. There's repentance and there's amends. And, we'll, and they go in that order. And so here you have Zacchaeus. He says, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And it's like, wait, what? Well, I've, I mean, I've looked. I'm like, that's not, there's nowhere in Scripture that says, thou shalt give half your stuff to the poor. The closest you'll find is love your neighbors yourself, which may be what he had in mind. God may have, I mean, Jesus may have, well, God, Jesus may have said, love the Lord, love others. Summary, the end. And he might have been like, okay, I got it. And as a result did that, metanoia, a change of mind, a change of mentality, of reality. There was something that changed here. And, and, and I think what's embedded in that because Jesus didn't come to him to talk about money, but money was his idol, chief, rich. And so you meet Jesus, your idols are exposed. Like here's what's in my heart, this is what I worship. It's exposed, it's revealed when you meet Jesus, laid bare before him who sees all, Hebrews 4.12. And so there it is, they're sitting at the table, and he stands up and he's like, all right, here's my idol, I'm putting it to death. I'm not gonna serve it anymore. You will not serve both God and money. You'll hate the one and love the other. Can't serve two masters. And he doesn't. There's repentance. John the Baptist says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And here's some fruit being born. It's not that the repenting wasn't the, um, the source. The source was repentance, a change of reality that led to that, that, that demonstrated the fruit of repentance. But then there's also amends. Because then he says, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold, which is actually Exodus 22.1. Repentance leads to amends. I think we've all got these idols and these permissible sins, getting drunk and materialism and greed. We're the, a friend has said we're the city most like L.A. It's just like what we're known by. There, there are these permissible sins that creep in that we've got to repent from, and then we make amends for them. And so Zacchaeus goes and makes amends. He's gonna go repay things. I used to have a list inside my Bible. It was a post-it note that kind of haunted me in a good way. And after a decade of drinking, I had a lot of people that I had hurt and offended. And I, I would go through them systematically as I met them or pray, some I didn't know how to get in touch with. And I'd find them and mark them off as I sought their forgiveness. In our family, the most often used phrase, aside from I love you, is will you please forgive me? from parents to children, from children to parents, from children to neighbors. It's like, because we're sinning. This side of eternity, though we've trusted in Jesus, we're still like walking out this progressive sanctification. And so it's the case. Verse nine, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since also he is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. When he says, today salvation has come to this house, Jesus' name is Yeshua, it means he saves. He's literally, there's a double meaning here of like, salvation has come to this house, Jesus has come to this house, and he's seeing the result of Zacchaeus in his response, and he's saying, salvation has come to Zacchaeus because of what he saw in him. 
There was repentance, there was a change. Now, he was not saved because he changed. Zacchaeus was not saved because he changed. He was changed because he was saved. His justification was leading to sanctification, which ultimately will lead to glorification. There began, as he met Jesus, a work in his life that was bearing fruit in this immediate way, and Jesus' thing is like, salvation's come to this house. Because he met Jesus, not because he followed rules. Every other religion will tell you, follow the rules and maybe you'll be saved when you die. No. Christianity says, salvation's found in a person. It's a person who saves. It says, since he also is a son of Abraham, it says the righteous will live by faith. All the way from Abraham, throughout the Bibles, there's a refrain of scripture, the righteous will live by faith. That that is where salvation comes, is through faith, the grace of Jesus Christ, that's salvation, period. There's no other way. And so that's why he says, you're a son of Abraham. And then he gives the summary statement of the reason for existence, the reason why he came, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Back right back up to Psalm 40. Remember the bog of Psalm 40? Embedded there is Hebrews chapter 10. A prophecy from Psalm 40 that reappears in Hebrews chapter 10. And it says, sacrifices and offerings you have not required, but a body you have prepared for me. Behold, I have come to do your will. It's the Spirit speaking through David, a prophecy about Jesus that was fulfilled, that is recalled in the, in the words of the author of Hebrews, that is on display right here where it says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is why he came. Of course he's in Jericho. Of course he came to you. Of course you're hearing these words today because he came to save. Justification, sanctification, one day glorification. This is why he came. It's the fulfillment of all of that. Right here, Jesus in Jericho, he came to seek and save the lost. You remember me telling you, on Tuesday we heard a diagnosis. Laura, you have cancer. We sat in that consult room and they said, okay, this is it. Here's how it's gonna play out. How crazy would it be if we're like, <laughs> actually, I don't. We don't have cancer. You're mistaken, actually, I don't. So we're gonna go, sorry. Cancer leads to death. Cancer untreated leads to death. It'd be a death sentence. And yet some people, pride-like instead of childlike, We'll say, my son doesn't lead to death. Doing pretty good, actually. I don't need Jesus. Pride will keep you from God. But it's not just in that instance of the sin of cancer. Sorry, the cancer of sin. I don't want you to think that Laura has cancer because of sin. We live in a fallen world, so annotate that. But also, it's not just a one time, like, okay, we have cancer will submit to your care, but there's this ongoing, like for years, the rest of her life, we were told, Laura, you're gonna have to have twice annual mammograms, all the checkups, like we're gonna watch this for the rest of your life. Why? Because cancer tends to regrow. And so it is with sin. We trust him for salvation, our justification, but there's progressive sanctification all throughout life. We don't just stop, he saved us and he keeps us safe. And so we stay near to Jesus once and for all, for the rest of our life, till we're at home with him. 
And as a result, you will never be the same. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus going to Jericho. You came to the town that we lived in. You called us by name. Some you are today. Some you are calling today because though they know about you, they don't know you and they're still dead in their sin. And I pray that today, Lord, with the day of salvation, that you've, you've brought them to this place. On this day, you know them by name. You're drawing them to you. That they would be saved. And that those of us who have trusted in Jesus, that we wouldn't just be like, okay, thanks for saving me from hell eternally. I got it from here. But that we would place, yourself, place ourselves under your care. That you would be our personal physician for the rest of our life to eradicate every cancer of sin that tries to creep in. That would live for your glory and your kingdom. Amen.